You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. Hey, what's up? This is Chadis from Hell Yeah and Mudbane. This is Ron Bumblefoot Fall. Hey, this is Bo Ran Wild. And this is Daniela Clark. This is Johnny from Art of Dying. Hey, this is Mixie from Stitched Up Heart. Hey, this is Nick Reese from Joyous Bowl. Hey, this is Josh from Badflower. Welcome aboard the shit making way. Fuck! Hey, this is Ralph Sutton. This is Aaron Jones. What's going on, gang? Zach Wild here. And you're listening to Making Waves, the Ship Rock Podcast! Making Waves. Welcome to Making Waves, the Ship Rock Podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media family and the fastest growing rock music podcast in the world. Our community is larger and more involved than ever, so thank you so much for your support and remember to review, rate, subscribe, and share. With that said, we might as well go ahead and share our next guest with us. Um, he is a longtime radio disc jockey in the Detroit area. If you guys are familiar with the uh, WRIF, excuse me, the RIF, he's been having a long going program there called Shop Shop. And he's also an author now of the second book that just dropped. And we'll, we'll get into those discussions now. But please, everyone, welcome Steve Black. Awesome. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Uh, I want to start real quick and say uh, say something uh, real quick. I was going through all of the little notables for you, and I went on deep dive in the internet. You know, I know Steve from The Riff and Steve from uh, Chop Shop. I don't know Steve in all these other spaces, and I had no clue that you've been in radio for 31 years this year. Holy shit. Congrats, man. That is pretty trippy. Yep. That's How is that possible say. for someone who's only 40 years old? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know why wifey and I look younger than we are, but we're. we're you know why? I'll look, tell you so. why. <laughs> Knowing you guys fully well, you guys have you're incredibly positive people, so that keeps you young. And secondly, you're doing what you fucking love. Yeah. So you're adding years to your life, and Chad knows that too, man. I know sometimes it feels like a grind, but at the end of the day, you're like, I'm so stoked and blessed to be doing what I'm doing. And it's not aging me like I would in any other job. It might age you, but, you know, stems. What's that called? Come on, you're the author. Give me a word. Stem cells? <laughs> Is that what you're talking there about? There go. <laughs> stem cells. <laughs> well, okay, so talking about science, I'd, I'd really like to get into your new book really quickly. Um, Last Child. Yeah, and uh, it is a book that I, I'm going to want you to explain about, folks. But I have to ask when you're there. You go right there. Prop. <laughs> when we go to when we go to our live segment, I definitely want you to, to show folks what it is, so they know what to look for <laughs> when they're looking you up to purchase that book. But uh, when I first heard, it, I was like, "Well, you know what? Is he naming it after the Brit, the the, the, the Aerosmith song?" <laughs> I thought, "Well, this sounds like a Brad. He's inspired by Brad Whitford. Sure, of course. But obviously, that's not the case because then I'm and I, you know, I started to peruse and see what the idea and concept of the book was. I was like, mm, I, I guess I'm kind of far off here. So tell us, man, how did this one come to be? I, obviously, you're a huge science fiction fan. 
Yeah, I, I really and, am. Uh, I, I, I love regular science and I love science fiction. Um, but as far as the way this came to be, it really came out of, and I even mentioned at the very end of the book that in, in an incredibly twisted, weird way, uh, I, I, I almost see this book as a sequel. And, and my first book was an autobiography, which is 100% true, at least to the best of my recollection. And this is total science fiction. But where that twist comes in is um, I lost my first wife. She died at the age of 35. And we had this six-year cancer battle. And afterwards, I was just pissed. I was pissed that science couldn't cure her. I was pissed that God would choose to take somebody who was so full of life and didn't want to die. And so I thought if I could create this world where I could set the rules, essentially play God, then I could dance in that world and let those two sides fight it out. I could, I could let the, the science and the religion sort of both be broken and see if I could find a place to live in that world. And it's, that's where the idea came from. I love that. Also, it's on every level, I think it's romantic as, as well as the, probably the darkest um, it's like a dance with the devil, a romantic dance with the devil. When you think about it, how you're able to create, pull, push all of the things that happen in life in this world inside of your head that then you, you know, you decimate upon pages, but leading up to this had to come, you had to go through some really dark places to figure out where the light, and you had the tool to find the light and tell a story the way you wanted it. I've been reading the book. I was going to ask where Kyle kind of came from, but now this makes sense. Um, Okay. Well, then I'll shut up and let you tell us more about it. <laughs> well, one of the things I wanted to ask, when I started looking at the book and the idea of, and I don't want to give too much away, but the last child on earth, I thought about growing up a big Colts movie for me. And it was also a shot where I lived was Logan's Run. Where basically, and no one was allowed to live past 25. Right. So it always struck me is that the ageism, which in a lot of ways revolves around the idea of astrophysics. I even know astrophysics about the birth of planets, but I'm thinking about birth of life as well. How that plays into your writing. And basically ageism is almost seen as either something you worship or something that needs to be eradicated. Yeah. What I was where I ultimately ended up, I should say, I don't think I started with the concept, but, but where I ended up with it is I, I kind of started backwards. Like if you look at evolution, at, at some point we were Cro-Magnon and then at some point we're not. When did that stop? There wasn't just one person, right? We just slowly evolved past it. So in a world where nobody can be born, then the next logical step is to extend life extend, extend, extend. And if we do that to the point of adding uh, cybernetics, uh, adding artificial cells to replace our natural cells, at what point in that forced evolution are we no longer human? And then also the big question, does it matter if we're no longer human? If that's part of the evolution, did it matter to Cro-Magnon that he's no longer Cro-Magnon? Like, where is that in the evolution? So that was the question I was asking. What does it mean to be human? And is it even important to be human? Do you invest in Dogecoin? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I don't know if you've had a moment to, to like go into like what I heard you say, my brain immediately went to the neuro link, right? And the, the why it is the developing uh, the AI, I mean, sorry, developing it 
to conquer the AI so that we can extend our life. Uh, and, you know, obviously this is like a whole new world to, to converse with anybody about, but I fucking Absolutely. love the fact that you're, you're my, this is, this is awesome, dude. Yeah. This is uh, where my brain went. I mean, you know, so. it's seriously interesting that the idea of, of, of humans evolving to the point where they become all this droids and does it matter anymore? At that point, you say, did God fail? And science took over. Right. Or even was that God's plan? Because, it, you know, you can define God a million He wanted to wash ways. his hands of you. I'm done with you guys. I'm turning right. into droids. I'm you, out. You, Peace. You can, you know, I think one of the great things about being human is we can all kind of choose what God is to us. Hmm. And hmm. I, it, the way I picture a God is that it, that being has the power to force you to do whatever you want. And the very first thing it gave you was life. And the very second thing it gave you was freedom to choose. You choose, you decide. Here's your playground, go figure it out. And so that's kind of how I built the book too. Like I said, I kind of stepped into the shoes of God for a second. All right, I'm going to create a world where there is a massive problem. We're facing extinction. I set my own rules and then I had to deal with it. Those were the rules that were set. Now I can't break those rules. Write a story. Um, how long have you thought about God the way that you're thinking about, that you're describing the way that you think about it now? I, I just think probably most of my, <laughs> most of my life, I mean, it evolves and it gets more complicated. Sure. Um, I came up with, and again, this was centered around, you know, losing loved ones, but I came up with this idea of time being spherical and the God essence, whatever it is existing within that sphere, right? So if you're within the sphere and time takes place on the skin of this expanding bubble, then from the God perspective, you're equally as close to the past as you are to the now, as you are to the future. Therefore, every moment matters because it's all equal distance. It's all has happened, will happen, and is happening. And if that's true, then we matter. And so, I don't know. I don't know exactly when I came up with that concept, but that helped me be okay. It helped me kind of accept some of the things that have happened in my life that I don't like. I mean, that's, I'm not a religious person. I never, uh, I was kicked out of church at a young age by, by no virtue of my own. Just, I was going to Boy Scouts, right? in the churches uh, where they put God in their like motto at the time period. They're like, you can choose one or the other. And I was like, well, I like regatta races and, and making kick-ass sailboats. I'm going to do this. Right. But I think that that's what I've learned from all the people who have been super close to me, who, um, close to me who are super close to, to God, I take a step back and I used to be a little bit more like a anarchist cookbook about this when I was younger. But as I get older, it's, I understand that everybody needs their, um, needs their thumb to touch something. There has to be a burner. It has to be hot. And it has to be cold. Something has to make sense for the way that you're feeling with all of that being so, I mean, that makes total sense. But with all, all of that, I mean, what are you going to say if like, the flat earthers were right. Well, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I know. But like, uh, what, what just my like favorite? think about it. Like think about it for a moment. <laughs> but one, but one of my favorite t-shirts is science doesn't care what you believe. Yeah. <laughs> so believe it all you want. Science doesn't care. 
I know. It's, well, it's, belief like faith is always changing and it's evolving as well. And science is not, is, is not cement. It's always changing as well. You know, yes. so they're always in flux, you know, there's no, there's no concrete anything, at least for those, for those things. The only concrete thing in the world is birth and death. In taxes. Well, no, I guess not really. Right. Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like an interesting example of that, Justin, would be, you know, since we live in gravity constantly, we can't really imagine a, a place without it. Like you see a giant boulder and you think about how heavy that is. But if that were in absolute outer space, it has no weight. The weight is the effect of gravity from the two masses, the giant mass of the earth and the mass, the tiny mass of the boulder that creates a push pull, which creates weight. But in outer space, it weighs nothing. But we think weight is constant. It, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's only constant here. Yeah. Well, in New Orleans, I live below sea level, so it's super gravity here. We have super gravity here, and it weighs you down like you're walking in cement boots. Wow. So, yes, I agree. (laughs) Uh, The the band Wilson that I was in, as you know, uh, Kyle, I I don't know if you've had these conversations, but these are the type of conversations at night Kyle and I would have in the van. Uh, It seems to me that you... um, you've mastered what, uh, what Kyle didn't, not to say that he didn't master, couldn't master it, but you've mastered the art form of words in, in presenting this <laughs> sort of similar, uh, uh, trajectory of a, of, of a story. And I, I think it's cool. On um, God, I think it was the last ship rocked. It might've been two ago. Once you've done eight, they kind of blur together, which ones were which, right, right. but uh, Kyle and I kept saying, you know, right on the first night, we're going to find a night where we're going to have like, you know, physics conversation night. We're going to find five or six people like us and we're going to find a spot under the stars on the ship and we're going to have the conversation. And then, of course, it didn't happen. And it's all right, we'll do it tonight. And then it didn't happen. And then we'll do it tomorrow. And then it didn't happen. And never ended up happening. But boy, we really wanted to do the, you know, Star Talk Club on the ship somewhere. That's actually not a, Justin. I think that's like a really cool like idea of. Uh, no, I think we should have like a little like a little lounge hub, and it should have a sign outside like brains only, yeah. you know, only adults <laughs> only. There's serious combo going on. Here. It's funny you talk about the idea of people at some point they just give up on the idea of being humans and they switch over to this kind of like robotic kind of like non-human self. I mean, we're becoming very comfortable with that through science fiction movies, novels such as yourself, even albums like Rush, uh, 2112, but even more so now in the world of AI. You know, we don't, the simulation is always in, going. You don't know what's what anymore. Uh, and so it's really interesting that that plays into what you're doing as far as your writing as well. Like the idea of people evolving from Cro-Magnon to what we call a human and then slowly moving into like, well, basically mechanics, mechanisms, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's an interesting concept and it's not so much the concept, but it's the idea that humans get okay with it. It's conditioning, right? Yeah. We're conditioned yep. with the okayness of I can live forever through AI. I'm like, well, maybe that's not something you want to be doing. You know, maybe yeah. sometimes 75 years is long fucking enough with you, junior. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, and I get into a lot of, I try to paint, you know, a, a realistic picture. Like one of the things that immediately suffers when people suddenly start to live an incredibly long time and by the way, cannot have children is marriages. They more or less disappear. Yes. 
unless you have an agreement, obviously you've kind of written into what you're doing when you get married. Like we want to be together because we dig each other, but let's not worry about the kids thing is let's just gather a lot of animals or what the hell we're going to do in order to kind of substitute for whatever they think they need a hole that we might consider having in our lives. Right. And, yeah. and then yeah. you, you have the, just the philosophical thing of, uh, you know, most people collect stuff and it, yeah, I mean, the, the goal is to leave yeah. that to your children and to your grandchildren and to their grandchildren. And mm-hmm. when you don't have that, there's suddenly not a need to collect those things. Wouldn't it be an interesting concept, though, to basically be able to say, hey, we have three or four kids, but you leave them nothing, not in the sense of nothing financial, but you leave them no memories of you. You leave no pictures, no need of artifacts, no, no, no furniture, no china that they have to do with. And they just basically have to use you as a memory and then they have to create their own. And they kind of pass this on. We're basically we're clut- a clutter free existence. Right. Yeah. It's a very black mirror of you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, the, 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 can I ask you a question, one more question about the book? I know, cause we have, you have 31 years of radio experience. We probably should talk about some of that too. Uh, why Kyle, why Kyle Jordan? Why is that the name? <laughs> I'm sorry. It just triggered a very funny memory for me. Uh, I was trying out some of these ideas on a, a coworker of mine at WRIF. His name's Al Beck. And I, I you know, he and I are close enough that I could share, you know, here's a, a philosophy. Here's a thought on God. Here's a thought on, you know, whole brain emulation. And, and he goes, well, you have a name for the character. And I go, yeah, Kyle Jordan. And he goes, wow, that's, that's really biblical. And I went, yeah, actually I took two different green lanterns and put their names together. <laughs> oh, the actors that played like people who took the ring and became the green lantern. Right. There were, you know, there were three or four different people who did that over the course of time. So I believe Justin mentioned that I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd. Yeah. Wow. Which leads me a question growing up. I don't know about you, uh, Steve, but I grew up reading like, uh, Bradbury, before he became Bradbury, as we know him, he used to write children's books regarding space travel and stuff. It made it very simplistic and easy to understand for a young mind to grasp. Uh, was that something you did as well? I mean, I mean, I even got like the G.I. Joe space locker, you know, when G.I. Joe was an astronaut in 71, 72, when the program, the, the, the space program was going and they were kind of following these trends. Did you grow up in the same manner? Y- yeah, I kind of immediately, though, um, at least one of the very early memories I I have, uh, I know when other people had, you know, their, their little sports dolls or whatever, I had all the uh, planet of the apes, you know, I had Cornelius and I had Zara and I had, and I just remember kind of living in that world uh, of sci-fi. That was like my first love of science fiction. I did get into books later, but it was sci-fi that got me interested in reading. You know, when I read the normal books in school, I always struggled with it. And I I found out later from talking to other authors that kind of what I was doing was I would get comfortable with their characters. And then when I would put the book down and go to sleep, I would, in my mind, I would have those characters continue their adventures. And then those adventures were more stimulating to me than what the author was giving me. When I found sci-fi, that was no longer true because it was more in the direction of what I was interested in. They had nothing to do with the author. It was just what my what piqued my interest and my curiosity. So I started reading sci-fi and then suddenly I couldn't put the book down because I couldn't come up with ideas that were better than what they were doing or more interesting to me, I should say. 
That's really interesting. You just gave some insight into yourself with this, with the Planet of the Apes thing. It's speaking about Cro-Magnon and then evolving. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, the, the apes never really evolved. They evolved mentally, physically, on how to deal with tools and commerce and everything else. And obviously, hunting, trapping. But they never evolved in, out of their skin and fur. So that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But... Uh, uh, Chad said you were 31 years, 31 years uh, in the in the radio business. Obviously, there's a lot of questions to ask you regarding the, the changes of having those kind of like really organic teams of jocks and people that worked and did the, the satellite things you guys are going to do and the remotes to basically being programmed by, well, a computer. It's it's night and day. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have been blessed in those 31 years to do almost every job available uh, in the radio industry and certainly every shift from the overnight to, you know, big morning show as the co-host of the Ted Nugent show. I mean, you know, that was a pretty significant talk show to be a co-host of, uh, you know, I did middays, I did afternoon drive. I've, I, I've, I've done it all. You were you one of those kids that started in radio and entering out the program director's uh, waste bins, those kind of jobs too, or did you just go right into being a personality? Um, so a I started as an audio engineer, and I actually started in uh, recording studios, and that got me to recording commercials, which got my foot in the door at a radio station, and I started mm-hmm. in production, just you know, recording commercials. And then, yeah, we had a, a giant snowstorm in Flint, Michigan, which is where I'm from uh, originally. And I was the only one at the station. So they were like, hey, uh, any chance you can go on the air? <laughs> you betcha I can go on. Mother Nature intervened. <laughs> you just go over to the bathroom and you're like, welcome to the whatever the call is. Wait, were you, were you one of those guys? <laughs> were you one of those guys that wasn't... Uh, a lot of people hate the sound of their own voice. I mean, I have for the longest time. Now I don't know when to shut up. Um, were you one of those guys? Were you nervous about it? Were you like, that's my voice. Do I have a voice for you? Do I have, do I not the talent, but like, are people going to listen to me? Are they going to, are they going to resonate? Is my voice going to resonate with them? I I never thought about it too much. And Mm -hmm. my family and even friends have kind of recounted things that are blurry memories for me. But apparently I used to make mixtapes for them and talk in between the songs, even as nice. like a four-year-old, five-year-old. So <laughs> I've, I just have always tape. heard my voice. <laughs> well, I mean, gee, Steve, you just took the fucking romance out of it, dude. Just people are supposed to <laughs> decipher for themselves what this mix is about. Now you're giving them play-by-play. <laughs> this like next song. Mood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no more Music is no longer her. subjective. It is only objective. My objective is get you to love me. Um, so, yeah. the, uh, so the uh, the question I have, because I have a, a lot, but you said something about this is totally off, off, off before we get into the deepest dive. You said it started with audio recording and making yes. commercials. Yes. Are you familiar with Ernest? Like the story of Ernest, the no. character. No. Okay. We don't have to waste any time talking about this right now. I was hoping they use it. Of course I am. Uh, but the short of it is Ernest would, was making uh, commercials that nobody asked for. Uh, that cut, <laughs> the, the character Ernest is just him being like, do you like whatever dairy product, uh, dairy, um, whatever, like, you know, like we have uh, what's the farm place that serves our milk here around here. Um, 
uh, whatever, whatever the milk farm is. He would make these commercials on VHS and send them in and be like, if you need a commercial, I got one for you. And hundreds of these tapes. Right. Wow. And so I was going to follow this up with like, when you were doing this, cause obviously the, the, the snow snow came, I mean, the snowstorm came and you were stuck in the thing. You're like, okay, I have all this experience of audio record. Did you just like fucking destroy it that night? And people were just like, okay, you're fired, Gary. Come on over in here, Steve. Like what was, what was the next day like for you at that moment? Uh, you know, what was funny was um, my, the program director called me maybe 20 minutes after I had done my, you know, I'm all 20 minutes into the show. That's going to last for three or four hours. And he goes, I thought you said you've never been on the air before. I'm like, yeah, I haven't. Oh, I'm sorry. He goes, I thought you said you've never done this before. I said, no, I said, I've never been on the air before. I've been doing it since I was three, you know, in my bedroom. I just, you know, it was it never went beyond the walls before, but he was like, dude, you're killing it. Just keep going. Did he call? Oh, I lost you. I, uh, like, like yeah, I lost you too, it. Chad. I'll ask you a question while he's uh, yeah, yeah, reconnecting. Sure. What was, do you remember the first record you ever queued up on your own? Not that it was on a playlist, but you had your, basically it's Steve's free hour on the radio. Did you remember the first record you ever queued up? Um, yes, because it was also the very first CD I ever bought. And it turned out to be a band that would uh, interact and intermingle in my life many times. It was, um, uh, Sabotage was the band and the song was uh, Gutter Ballet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So 1989, so my very first, uh, I don't know if it was my first shift on the radio, but it was certainly the first or second, yeah. And were you guys doing, see, at that point you guys switched over to, to digital format then and you were no longer doing albums? Um, at, well, geez, that station, because we're going back to 1989, was still had like pots, like dials and stuff. Oh. We didn't even have faders. <laughs> so everything yeah. was on carts, which looked like old eight-track tapes yep. you know those are radio carts but they had yeah. a cd player in the production library and so i had bought a couple of cds because i thought i was you know i gotta have the coolest form of music and so I, I went and got the cd player from the production studio and brought it into the air studio and routed it <laughs> now i can play sabotage <laughs> yeah and were the, were the people at your station, the program director, who was running those, those shows at that period of time, were they just like, oh, were you just like blowing their mind? Because that's all I can think of is like, you know, you're getting to go at bat, you grand slam it, and then you follow it up with uh, the next time that you get the swing, you're on base. You know, like that's like, you know, like the continuation of the game is now you're bringing in a new form of media. Uh, am I understanding that correctly? Or are they... Did they already understand this could be possible? Well, I, th I think they knew about CDs, uh, obviously. I just, uh, you know, there just wasn't a player in the studio at that point. It was just too new. And even if you had one, there were probably only five CDs in the building. Uh, so, 89, did you get to a point where you had to play Sweet Child of Mine every hour on the hour? <laughs> um I don't recall that being the song that I played every hour, but uh, I've had those songs a few sure. times in my career. Yeah. I, sure. I, I've had a few that I, if, there are a few songs that are unbelievably great songs that are legendary songs that I don't need to ever hear again, ever. Yeah, and I, well, them, but I don't need to hear. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Of the 2,500 plus shows and specials that you have syndicated, that you've had put in syndication uh, and that has aired over the cross, across 170 radio stations in the United States, how many of those shows do you think that uh, you played that specific song, Sweet Child of Mine? Oh my, um, I don't know, but a bunch. I mean, that is a song I have played a crazy number of times. Over 100. Yeah. Oh, way over a hundred. Yes. Okay. In my career, w- way yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You know, Steve, I used to, I used, I used to, I used to do a midnight to three a.m. shift in Dallas. Yeah. Obviously, it was pre-programmed. I, I, the only thing that wasn't programmed was me, me speaking at commercial time and break time. Everything else was loaded in pre-programmed. Have you ever had a point in your life where you you get the list and you're like, oh, this is the songs I got to play? You're just deviated from that, maybe caught a little bit of heat from the station manager or anything like that. Have you ever done it just to be a little rebellious? Yes, is the easy answer. Um, some of the stations I worked at, there was a, a, an okay amount of freedom to to do some of that stuff, mm-hmm. mainly in the '90s when we had some of that kind of freedom. Yeah. Um, nowadays where, you know, you don't have to queue up the music or anything. It's all just in a computer and it comes to you. Uh, I still will do it a little bit, but that's the reason you have a live person in the studio versus most radio stations, which don't have a live person in the studio. Correct. If, if you Correct. suddenly are asking me to play a, a really down dreary number in November uh, because it's cold and rainy, but it's not. And I look out the window and the sun's blazing and it's a rare sunny day in Detroit in November. Well, dude, I'm not playing that song. I'm going to break out Paradise City. Like, you see, yeah, you're, you're, you're supposed to play November rain, but instead you go Paradise City. Right. <laughs> depending yeah. on the weather, depending on what's going on, depending on the sporting events. Just, yes, you've got to be, if you're live and local, you have an advantage over Spotify. And that is yeah. to essentially read the room and the room is your city. Yeah. Okay. Hey, real quick, guys, before we go to live on a good commercial break. Hey, folks, at this time, we'd like to remind you that not only are you listening to a kick-ass podcast right now, but we also produce an amazing rock music-themed cruise called Ship Rocked. We'll be sailing uh, to Costa Maya and Cozumel on our 12th voyage in January 2022. Sail away with Into Metal Oblivion, not with, Into Metal Oblivion with Lamb of God, I Prevail, From Ashes to New, Still Panther, and many more. Uh, so please, if you are interested, we still have cabins available at shiprock.com. So go to shiprock.com, pick up your cabin and join us please in January. And with that said, we'll get back to our interview and uh, podcast school, get ready to go to live stream here with, uh, with Steve Black. And we are now live. So Steve, what? say hi to the Facebook world. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Good to hi, see hi, you, Chad. Steve, on the internet. Good to see hey, you man. on the internet with us on the Sorry. internet. We're all together. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm yeah. going to share it real quick, my own self. Sharing. Okay. Well, guys, real preoccupied with sharing what's going on yeah. right now. Uh, if you guys know Steve uh, and his wife, Gina, beautiful, wonderful people. They're part of the Shiprock family. Uh, Steve, obviously, when you guys do meet and greet, you see him giving a lot of interviews uh, for his Chop Chop show, which I think Steve can be found on at WRIF, the Riff in Detroit. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's just the easiest place. That's my my home station and has okay. been for 18, almost 19 years now. Yeah. Okay. You can also go to chopshop.com to check out Steve's stuff. Look at past archival interviews he's done, which are, well, thousands. And then also check out his new his, his newest book, The Last Child, and his uh, his prior book to that, 
you can go purchase those and get a synopsis of what those books are about there. Look at that right there. That right there is a salesman, <laughs> folks. That's how you do it. From Black to Light and The Last Child, those two of his books. So, uh, again, thank you for joining us. We're right now in the midst of talking about Steve's 31-year radio career. So let's get back to it with Chad and Steve. Yeah, man. Real quick. I mean, I, I know, but I'm not sure everybody here that's listening knows. 31 years in radio. You started your first time on, we were just talking about the first time you've been on air live. Was that in Flint at WDLZ? Yep. Uh, Flushing, I guess, right? Is that where it was located? And it was a stormy, rainy or snowy night. And snowy. you were the only the only person at the, at the station. This is like airhead style. This is like what <laughs> Brendan Fraser was like begging for to happen to him. So like you farted on the snare drum, you were pip, you went on and crushed it. They gave you a gig, fired Gary or whoever. And now you were there for how many years before you moved to, De came to Detroit? Uh, I was only there for one year before the station kind of went under. Okay. You, then, are you to blame for that? I was not. Uh, <laughs> no, that'd be, that'd be the salespeople who didn't move enough automotive ads. Uh, um, but I was only out of radio for about a year. And then a, a Z-Rock opened in Detroit. Oh. And I did something that is very, very uncharacteristic of me. Uh, more so uh, back then. I mean, it's more like the old version of me back then, not like the version of me now. But I uh, made contact with the program director and I said, I know the music better than you do. I live the lifestyle. I know these bands. I go to these shows. You need me. Yeah. And I thought I'd blown the interview and I didn't hear from him for three weeks. And thank God when he called, he said, you know what? Um, that kind of pissed me off a little bit when you said it. But the more I thought about it, you're right. You know this music better than me. You know these bands. You live it. Um, you're hired. And that was now. Let me ask. The, the, and that the was guy in Detroit. You, you know, have you met this guy before? Uh, giving him all of that, nope. laying him to waste, and making him curl up fetal in the corner for three weeks. No. Nope. When you met him, did you go? Yep, I was accurate about this. He adjusted his pager on his belt on his pleated slacks, held up by his web belt. He was adjusting his pager, and you so you nailed it. That's well, the he guy told you're me. With. I, he, he told me, "Look, hey, we just changed formats from the jazz station, and I'm the program director from the jazz station, and I don't know this stuff as well." And I, so I was bold. I'm like, well, "I do. You need me." What was the jazz station called? The Oasis. <laughs> I, I don't remember. They're all uh, called the Oasis, man. Yeah, <laughs> nowadays they all are. <laughs> I, I think it was. I, I honestly don't remember what it was called. But that was that was the start. And we did some crazy, incredible things uh, at Z-Rock. You know, the vulgar display of parties where we did three Pantera, three different nights in a row in three different venues in Detroit. And you could buy one ticket and go to all three parties. You know, I mean, it was like, was that at that? Harpo's? Nobody did that. Did you, was one of the nights at Harpo's? Yes. Was the other one at IROC? I think so. And the other was the uh, State Theater. Oh shoot! I remember this. Yeah, the I mean, it was display of parties. I was always. really young, yeah. I well, mean, so, you know, we did crazy stuff like that all the time. We did yeah. a, a show with uh, Tool. In fact, I don't think you can see it here, but my very first uh, platinum album I ever got was from was being the among. I don't know if I was the first, but among the first people in radio to play Tool on commercial radio, and we did a show with them at the Phoenix Plaza Amphitheater, which means nothing to anybody who doesn't live in Detroit, but. I mean, it, there was 15 people there. Nobody knew yeah. them. 
<laughs> you know, that was the great thing about even back then. I mean, I still, I mean, that album was obviously a long time ago, but in the, in the context of things, it used to be where the, the Midwest, whether it's Cleveland, or Detroit, were the ones breaking bands. It wasn't the West or East Coast. Everything now works from the West Coast over because of programming standards. But back then, you guys could do those outliers and create, we all know the famous thing of, of Rush, how Cleveland founded that and played Working Man, and that went from there. So this is a great example of the Midwest always breaking, having actually a much better gauge on taste and longevity of artists than the West or East Coast could ever fucking have. Yeah, I, I uh, one of my great heroes in life was um, Paul O'Neill, who, uh, you know, a producer, but best known for putting together the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And he told oh, me okay. back when he worked with, you know, Lieber Krebs and back when he uh, helped bring the Scorpions across uh, from Germany to America that, Detroit was their proving ground. You know, th these guys were New York guys through and through, but they, they knew that if you broke a band in Detroit, the world would accept them. If you broke a band in New York, America might accept them, but you didn't know about the world. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I was a young kid at that point. I didn't know, but. Let me ask you this of all the shows, obviously you had to do a lot of remotes in your career. Thus oh far. yeah what was the either the craziest or worst one that you ever dealt with as far as the situation and what happened? Uh, I'm going to go with the most memorable one. First of all, I got Let's to go. do, okay, that'll work. That'll work. You're not that way. You're not throwing too many people under the bus. I got to do a week from a bar that we were giving away through our sponsor Guinness in Ireland. So even though we were in Detroit, we were giving the winner their own bar. They would have to move to Ireland for no less than three years and run this bar that we were giving away. <laughs> and the top of the bar was a home. So you were getting a home and a bar to run and not in Dublin either, like out in the sticks of Ireland. So I did a week's broadcast from the bar we were giving away with all the locals. <laughs> and it was crazy. And so there was this one kind of, you know, elderly lady there and I kept begging her. This thick Irish accent. Come be on the radio. Be on the radio. No, 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 no. I can't be on the radio. No, I can't. And on the last day, she comes over and she grabs the microphone and she sticks it in her ear and she goes, hello, America. I can't hear you. And I was just like, oh, my God, this 85 year old lady thinks she's supposed to be listening through the microphone. Uh, it was just, the whole week was gorgeous and beautiful and stuff I'll never forget. But that was like, <laughs> what do you do? What do you was that say? to get us? Did Guinness fund that or did you guys fund that? Because that seems like kind of the, it's uh, <laughs> quite the uh, undertaking. Yeah, it was actually, they did it in 10 markets. Um, uh -huh. So it was kind of a 10 market sweepstakes, if you will. And so we were one of 10 radio stations that were there. There was a station there from San Francisco. There was one there from Boston. We were the station representing Detroit. There was, you know, and yeah, Guinness funded it all. They flew all, all 10 radio stations over and we all took turns broadcasting and using each other's uh, gear and, it was crazy. Who, who won? Who won yeah. that? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. It wasn't that lady. It wasn't that lady, no. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but that was one of the, you know, I mean, talk about doing a remote broadcast. Yeah, go to Ireland yeah. for a week. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> yeah, guys, real quick, if you have any questions for Steve, please post those in the thread. Uh, you can talk to him about quantum physics, astrophysics, sci-fi, his books, or you can talk about life and radio, or maybe some artists that he's... Uh, He's interviewed over time, see what kind of stories he might have for us. So, uh, Steve, one of the questions I have is where do you see the future of radio? I mean, we've always heard when 
to me, I see radio as terrestrial radio, not really taking the knock we thought was good when Sirius came in and kind of took a bite of things. It seems that terrestrial radio is still something that is very prevalent in people's lives, especially at drive time. How do you see it? Yeah, the research I've seen shows very little deviation from when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you would listen to the radio, figure out what you like, and then you'd go buy the albums and you might spend an hour a day listening to your albums. And that hour was time you spent away from the radio. Mm-hmm. And now they found that, they, that it's almost identical. People will still go to radio first because that's their local friend, find out what's going on, get the vibe of the music, and then they might go to satellite or they might go to Spotify or they might go wherever else they want to deepen their understanding of the things they just heard on the radio. But then they return back to radio. So I think it's good. I think the only thing that is a legitimate danger is the driverless car. I think if we ever get there, that I I don't know if radio can recover from that because the younger generation, especially if you can play video games because you don't have to drive. You know, if, if there isn't even a steering wheel, you're just in a car that drives itself, then I think radio is in trouble. But if we don't get to there, I think we're still in a pretty good spot. People seem to still love us. And that's great, obviously, since I spent my Well, obviously, a lot of the heritage stations, because, you know, it's PB&J for them. There's enough uncertainty in life. It's still nice to have the local radio voice guy. And uh, you kind of know what the playlist is going to be like, you know. Growing up in Dallas, the 92.5, you know, I know I'm going to hear Zeppelin. I know I'm going to hear Bad Company. And it's just like wash, rinse, repeat. But sometimes that's so comforting. Yeah. And and the voice, you know, the person Mm -hmm. talking in between. I I think, you know, the station that I'm primarily talking about here today is WRIF. And, you know, this is our 50th anniversary being the same format. Uh, You know, generations have grown up with it. They know what to expect. Speaking of knowing what to expect, real quick, I want to ask Chad. I'd love to get this question in real quick from uh, Christina. Uh, Christina wants to know, you've obviously probably been there many times. Have you been to the machine shop? She goes, it's her favorite venue, and she's from Wisconsin. Uh, For me, yes, of course. Um, Okay. It wasn't there when I was growing up, uh, just outside of Flint, uh, but I've been there many, many times. And, you know, I, I, I know all the people. I've, yeah, absolutely. I love the machine shop. Okay. Okay. Are you wearing a shirt, machine shop shirt right now? I am. <laughs> That's, <what> I <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yes, I am. Well, well, there you go. I thought maybe she's going Yes, he is banning me. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I wonder if she eyeballed your shirt and asked that question. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, Christina, yes, he's probably been there a multitude of times. So. Yep. Lots of great memories up there. I don't want to deviate away from where we're heading, but real quick, cause I do have, I have a comment that I wanted to see what you thought about. To me, the future of terrestrial radio is exact is a partially of what you guys just described, but I, if to get me to listen more. So now when I have the options and I fall in the middle of that Venn diagram where there's like the streaming services and radio, cause I do, I, I listen to the riff when I get, I'm a, but the riff, I should also preface this thing as a guy who's been in all of those stations across the state, uh, across the United States, the riff is special. There's not too many rock stations. Like you said, that have been around for 50 years and that they have a loyal uh, listenership to where like people get fucking pissed when things change there. But that being said, I would love to tune in and not hear 
what I think I'm going to hear, but instead hear what Steve or the jock, you know, p- putting in the programming that you know that you're going to because of this, this, the simplicity of what, you know, the research says, but, but shake it up, you know, and, and make, make me feel like I, I the jock, the personality, this, the voice that I'm listening to is more important than anything else. Well, um, it, it probably won't happen, but I will tell you for the 50th, they've asked uh, us jocks, for ideas. Hey, what should we do that we haven't done in a long time or whatever? And that's basically what I said. I said, let, let each jock do their own show. Let us program yeah. our own show just for a weekend. Let us go and tell the community what they've meant to us, what music has played a role in this 50 year relationship and let us just go nuts. And, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to let us do it or not. I wouldn't wager on it, but. <laughs> well, the, we're well, not a chop shop, right? Isn't that, isn't that yeah. how did chop shop start and get syndicated the way that it has been? Oh, okay. Um, so this is an interesting story. Uh, I, I uh, mentioned earlier, if you get a chance to go back and check out the, the, the full podcast, um, my first wife, Sabrina, was uh, also in radio and she was better known in the Detroit area as a sports personality, but she got cancer very young. Uh, she was um, uh, diagnosed at 29 and died at 35. And for a while, she was so bad that I couldn't really leave the house without essentially getting a babysitter. Like she, she just couldn't function. You know, at one point she had fallen and had a head injury. And so things got really, really bad. So I had to find a way to work from home. And I already, being an audio engineer, had a studio already built in my house. And so I said, you know, I need to just do radio from home. And this was really kind of before computers were in every station. And I thought, I just need to do a syndicated show, something I can produce from home and send it out to stations. And and man, in those early days, I'm in season 18 of the Chop Shop. Those early days, we used to press the show on CD and then I would have a, a multiple CD burner. You'd put the top CD in and a bunch of blanks and burn CDs and then put them in the mail and mail them to all these stations so they could play them. And, and that's how we started the show. Um, I, as for, you know, why it's called the Chop Shop and why it's guitar oriented, I was just thinking about guitar being this billion dollar industry and, and radio basically ignoring it forever. They always just talk about the singer. They always talk about the lyrics. They always talk. And I was like, hey, nobody. So I said, all right, let's do a show where I only interview the guitar players. That's who I talk to. And, you know, I've been doing it for 18 seasons. That's what I do. So you kind of essentially, in, without maybe the, the, the programming aspect of it, you did exactly what it was. It's like, we're going we're gonna to do it the way that the jock, the way that you yes. would like to. It, yeah. And now yeah, here it create, is. Created my show later. so I could work from home and take care of take care of my you know, wife. That the was, idea that behind the shop shop is super interesting that you only talk with cars. Have you ever had someone like Brad Zelensky or someone from Guitar World reach out to you regarding that? Because that seems like such a, a crazy little niche that you have there. Not directly, no. I have had people who know them and people who know me kind of connect the dots between us, but it, it's just never happened. Um uh, you know, that's funny because you know what I do? I would call that article the spirit of the airwaves. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, we have another question here from Karen. Uh, Karen wants to know, that's a good one too. It's something we probably should have saved for our own. I would have stolen this idea. But if you had one hour to live, listen to on repeat, which song would it be? 
I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit. It's one song for one hour. Is that what you said? You have one hour left to live. You get one song to listen to on repeat. Which song is it? Oh, God, that's painful. Um, for the love of God, Steve Vai. What about that song? That, that, that what, what what is it about that song that makes you want to be? That's 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 going to be the your curtain call. Uh, a lot of things. First of all, just personal memories. This song ties into a lot of important things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very unique relationship with Steve. Um, it, born out of fear, <laughs> essentially. And, mm-hmm. you know, to this day, we're, we're, we're still really good friends, you know, 28 years later. Mm-hmm. And then there's the spiritual side of it. And then there's also the, you know, the, the guys who play fast got this reputation of not having any soul, which was incredibly unfair. Um, and that's one of the most soulful, emotional songs I've ever heard from anybody. Uh, so it just it has meanings to me on numerous levels. Yeah, he's like Satriani in that way. He'll throw that song in. It's like a mood piece, a lot of very texturized. It's not all over the map. It's not, you know, he's not killing bees with it. Um, another question here, who's been your, and this, I'm curious, who's been your favorite interview subject over all the ones you've done? What one stands out? My freaking question. All right. No, 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 no. This is all about our, this is all about our viewers here. Changing my, I know. And I'm changing my question now. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to generalize real quick and say, excuse me. My favorite interviews are always the producers, uh, because they hear music differently than everybody else. And although, you know, sure, I'd love to sit down and, and talk to David Gilmore. But when I can sit down and talk to Bob Ezrin and get his view of David Gilmore, oh, my God, it just it's goosebumpy. Um, and probably Bob. I mean, Bob was my absolute hero growing up. Um, I was a weird kid, you know, at like nine years old when most kids. Well, don't- Bob, Bob was a weird guy. Yes. Uh, you know, I think I was nine. I might have been ten. When I told my parents I wanted to be a Foley artist, which <laughs> most people don't even know what that is. You know, that's mm-hmm. the guy in TV and film who creates mm-hmm. sound, right? Yeah. Like, hey, we, we have a spaceship or a dinosaur. Well, what does it sound like? We don't know. They don't exist. You've got to create it. And even as a kid, I wanted to create sound. So There's, <laughs> I love that, uh, by the way. Is it? Interesting article, uh, speaking of Bob Ezrin, it just came out, I think it was Ultimate Rock, talking about Kiss Destroyer and the boot camp that he ran in order to get yeah. that, that album made. And if you obviously listen to Paul Stanley, it was, it was that era. Bob really loved the blow. So, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a couple of uh, pieces <laughs> of my Bob, uh, Bob Ezrin interview in, this, in my first book. And okay. he talks about sitting down with Peter Chris and teaching him to play um, hands and feet independent of each other, you know, uh, up until Bob, he met Bob, Peter couldn't play independent of each other, you know? So. Which is really weird to hear that when you go back and listen all live and you hear a hundred thousand years drum solo and you're like, that fucker's all over the joint. What's yeah. he not doing right? So anyway, that's kiss nerd shit. Yeah. Um, ship rock. So you've been involved with us for as long as I can remember, eight years and nine years. Um, how did you guys find out about us at the time? And how did you get involved? I met Alan at one of, uh, what's the one in Columbus? 
Um, Rock on the Range. Rock on the Range. Yeah, obviously it's changed its name now. Uh, Mm -hmm. I met Alan at Rock on the Range and he told me about Shiprock. And I said, well, God, I'd love to, you know, help out any way I can. Here's a couple of ideas. What do you think? And he was like, well, we don't really do much in the way of radio, but you know, yeah, send something to Christine and she'll get it to me. And, and I did. And he followed up and said, yeah, let's do this. It really was that simple. It's kind of, it's awesomely like that story seems like a very, it seems exactly perfect for, for the, the Shiprock experience and, and how the family here or, orients itself. Um, had you ever been on an, on a cruise ship in any capacity before this? Nope. And it is, I mean, I've been to thousands of concerts and maybe half of my top 20 favorite rock and roll memories have taken place on a ship, you know, <laughs> and I've never been on any other cruise other than ship rocks. Um, it's, it's unique. And whatever's, whatever the next step is beyond unique, it's that too. That's coming from a guy. Scrumptralescent. Yeah, who who like he went to 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 uh, not Scotland? You went to no, uh, no it wasn't Scotland. Where's the uh, Dublin, right? Oh For yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Ireland. You went there to Ireland. That's right. You went there. This is coming from the guy who went there to give away a bar on the radio. <laughs> uh, so that's a pretty hey, that's a pretty bold I, I, statement. I saw Peter Gabriel in 1987 in an old Roman arena in Verona, Italy, where there were no chairs, <laughs> just marble slabs. Uh, so I have some concert memories, but I'm telling you, I've seen things in Shiprock you, that you will never see again. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously it's, it's a place where the people can let their hair down. It's kind of that you, we give them the idea that this is a kind of a once in well, not once in a lifetime, because a lot of bands have been back several times, but it's a, it's a chance to do something you just wouldn't be able to get away with maybe at a club or a venue or arena, wherever they're playing. Can, can so, I share a, a quick memory? Absolutely. Yes, so, uh, Jeff Tate was playing in sort of this lounge area doing an acoustic thing. And it the was just atrium. him. Yep. Atrium. It was him and um, Ron uh, Bumblefoot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Two musicians, acoustic guitar oh, yeah. singer. And I don't remember exactly what song it is. We'll say silent lucidity just because it's fresh to my mind, but I couldn't help but kind of sing along. And so was everybody else. And I'm like, I'm going to take the harmony here, you know, and I'm in the back of the crowd and I'm like, wow, somebody else is singing the harmony. And I turn and it's Jerry Gaskill from King's X, which is one of my absolute top 10 favorite bands in the history of life. And I'm getting the chills. And I went to this show with Ollie Herbert, by the way, God rest his soul from all the remains. So I've got Ollie on my left and we're both pointing at Jerry on our right. And we're like, I, and I realized this, they aren't names like Led Zeppelin, Metallica, but I love Dolly. I love all the remains. I love King's X and we're singing Queensryche. And then we're looking around and it's not just us, it's everybody. And we're like, what, what a shared special moment. Where else are you going to get that? Well, it's a chance for them to be fans. They're not having to deal with handlers and not having to deal with any kind of tight schedules. It's all very loose. And at that time of the evening, I, those are usually the, the later shows they're, they're done with their, with their work day. So yeah, they're, they're, they're like anybody else. They're a fan. Um, Chad, you have a walk the plank question for Steve here. I do. Um, so Steve, you've had a lot of experiences, 31 years of radio. You've written two books, uh, loved, lost, loved again. 
What's the most spiritual experience that you can recall that you've, that you've had in your life thus far? Oh boy, this one's going to be tough. <laughs> All right. So this goes back to, you know, sick, sick wife. Um, uh, she was home hospice was expected not to make it more than a couple of days. And I just call it a broken robot. Cause I didn't know what else to do. She had some kind of seizure where, you know, just like, I'm, and I'm, I'm crying and I'm thinking, this is it. This is, just, you know, I get to watch my wife die now and I'm absolutely brokenhearted. And, you know, you can't hug a seizure. You got to let the person seize and, but you protect, you make sure you don't fall off the bed, whatever. Somewhere in this mess, I, I, when it was all said and done and I was exhausted, I, I cried myself to sleep and I, I, I just, I don't even remember how I fell asleep, but I fell asleep and I woke up to, <clears throat> hi, honey, are you okay? What? She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. Something happened. You wanted spiritual. Um, she was sent home on hospice to die. And after that seizure, she was more or less okay for another two years. She lived two more incredible years. And we did so many things together. She got to finally meet Chris Cornell. We got to go to shows. We got to do things. I mean, life was tough. You know, uh, it was crazy. But I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's... That's the closest I've ever been to God right there. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's, 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 yeah. Uh, what's your, what's your favorite quotation, Steve? Oh, I, I, I say this far too often, but God, I mean it so much. Um, when a situation comes up, I say, I love Primus, but I don't want to live in a world where everyone loves Primus. And, and you can swap out for another weird band like Frank Zappa or, or whatever, but Food Fighters. Um, it basically means that variety matters, that we have to have differences of opinions. We have to see the world through different eyes and different perspectives or, or nothing happens. I don't want you to love the same things I, I love. I want to love them so I can tell you how much I love them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only place that doesn't apply is at an Iron Maiden concert. Anyway. Yes. Yes. You must yes. love Iron Maiden. You must all. <laughs> In order to be in this arena of 50,000, you almost all love Iron Maiden or get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a spinal tap. That could be a spinal tap show, movie uh, right there. Somebody that stumbled upon uh, uh, an Iron Maiden show that absolutely fucking hates Iron Maiden. <laughs> there you go, Steve. Book three Can't right there, out. buddy. Yeah. yeah. Lost Somewhere in Time is going to be the name uh, of your book. Uh, I do love time travel. <laughs> anyway. Well, or at least time travel, we've, we've been through almost an hour with you, buddy. And it's yep. been incredibly fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you, obviously, for sharing some of your very personal, uh, personal stories. It's, it's, it's great for people to hear. It's tough to say sometimes, sometimes to remember and, and bring them back up. But thank you for your honesty and, and being so candid with that. Uh, and thank you for telling us about 31 years in, in radio. We expect another 31 from you. It's kind of a low impact sport. So uh, you should be OK there. But anyway, I'll do my best listen, on a personal <laughs> note, on a personal note, I love you and your wife so dearly. You guys become really good, dear friends to me. And when I was going through some tough issues in my life, dealing with family, you guys are both there for me. So I will always be forever in your, in your, uh, 
Well, I, you guys are always in my heart. Let's put it that way. I'll be obviously in your gratitude, but uh, thank you so much for being a great friend. Thank you for being a great friend of the cruise and always being so supportive of this. You guys have been amazing to us and, and for us. And again, it's just part of this fabric we call Ship Rock community. So thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Yep. Ha- happy to do it. And, you know, Gina and I make each other better people, especially her. She makes me a better person, always has. And uh, we love you guys. We, the whole family. And, um, yeah, I mean, if I can ever do anything for, for you, reach out. I think you yeah, do it all. Absolutely. You're the beacon. Yeah, that's yeah, right. There you go. Listen, guys, if you want to catch this podcast, it's going to be available this Monday. I uh, forgot the date. I get lost when we start getting to September October. But this coming Monday, 9 a.m. Uh, Central, you can find it on our YouTube channel. That's the Ask for Entertainment YouTube channel. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you stream music. Um, so do that, guys. Real quick, we couldn't have the show happen without, obviously, our host here, Chad Niceville. Thank you, Chad, as always. Um, our guest, Steve Black. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it again. You've given us your time um, on this Wednesday. And, we, of course, our uh, show producer, Al McManus, our show engineer, Jennifer Zito, our show coordinator, Heather Smith, and the Capitan, uh, Alan Koenig. So thank you all to everyone. This has been an STM podcast production. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Have a great week. Go see some fucking music and go buy some vinyl. See you guys. Take care. Bye. And we are done. Steve, Steve, thank you for sharing that. That was the first time that I cried. Dude, yeah. Yeah, that was heavy, man. You had me right on the brink. You had me on the ropes. You You go all alley on me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I was Joe Frazier. I worked my way out of it. Much stronger than I. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so good to see you. I can't wait to uh, see you, you you both in person. I, we're, we're, I'm assuming we'll probably do that before the ship now that uh, we're starting to get in uh, a little bit better waters here. But I tell Gina, yeah. as I said. Yeah, reach, her. reach out anytime. I'm thrilled that you're reading the book, by the way. That's, that's incredible. I didn't know you have, you have physical copy. Can I buy the, because I bought the. Of course. Digi- Where do I get that? Yeah. Um, no, no, no. Same. Chopshopradio.com. And uh, next week, starting next week, it'll be on Amazon. Sick. Okay. Wow. Cool. Look at you. Going yeah. global. I love it. I love yeah. it. I mean, in, well, but, you know, you're not that far away either. You can just hit me up and, you know, <laughs> we can meet. <laughs> so strange. This is really weird. But uh, tomorrow I might have to be at the Riff to drop off an acoustic guitar for a Friday performance for some band that they called. Are you going to be there at all tomorrow? No, I, I'm, uh, okay. I, I don't know if you know or not, but in my work, uh, my daytime job, I work at General Motors. Oh yeah. Duh. What? Yeah. I'm an He's audio engineer, guy, video technician. Chad? Yeah. Yeah. I, awesome, I did know man. this. I did know this and I, my I brain hole. Not a, I've known you. I've never known you to, holy shit. That's the revelation. In the black brain hole. Yeah. yeah. Right there. Not well then what I'll do is I'll order it and come and pick it up. So you don't have to pick, do the whole shipping thing up uh, from your website. I'll go. Is yeah. that, I'm assuming you ship them out, right? If they're personal um, shipping. If it's a personalized copy, I ship them out. If it's any okay. other copy, it ships depending on where you're at. Like some of the books are printed in Houston and shipped from there. Some are uh, printed, I think, in Denver, and the rest are in Grand Rapids, I think. Something like that. Okay. Thanks hey, for the capital of the world, Grand Rapids, Michigan. <laughs> yes, of course. I was just there yesterday. Mr. <laughs> Justin. Can yeah. we re-record the intro? I'm yes. this pizza. Bye, Chatty. Yeah, yeah goodbye, buddy. Bye. Steve, I'll see you, bud. Okay, thank, thank you, everybody. Thank you so much, Steve. Bye.
Yeah. Be loved. Great interview. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.